0: And this week, we try to reassemble the broken pieces of our childhood after watching Star Wars Episode 1, The Phantom Menace. And along the way, the only question we have to ask is, why George Lucas, why? This is Force-Fed Sci-Fi. Hello, everybody, and welcome to what is sure to be another thrilling edition of the Force-Fed Sci-Fi Podcast. I am your host, Chris Rupp, and I am joined with, with my co-host, Sean Culp. Thank you, everybody, so much for joining us on ripping off the Star Wars Band-Aid.
1: Ripping off the Band-Aid?
0: We are talking about Star Wars Episode One: mm-hmm. The Phantom Menace, the start of the Star Wars saga. The
1: be- yeah, yeah, the start of the saga, the beginning of the pain.
0: Oh, man. Oh, man not so much the pain i mean it's 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 the prequel movies not the original the originals we still have fond
1: memories of. we do we do it's it's a perfect notion of life you have some ups and downs
0: before before we actually rip off this band-aid in full yes we're gonna do a little plot summary of it now this movie has been out for 20 years so that statute of limitations is five years it's mm-hmm. done y'all have had time to see this sorry man so like we said th- episode one the phantom menace is the beginning of the star wars saga the jedi are strong they are the peacemakers they are helping keep the galaxy free and democratic we meet a young obi-wan kenobi who is still a padawan learner under the tutelage of qui-gon jinn a jedi master and a tiny planet named naboo is about to become engulfed in a literal trade war and in a distant corner of the galaxy, a young boy is waiting to learn his destiny amidst a growing threat. Now, we should note that we are not doing a complete overview of all the Star Wars films. No. We are we would be here for four hours and I don't think you anybody has time to listen to two Jamokes talk about Eight films for no, four hours.
1: But with that being said, we are going to break into the Clone Wars and et cetera in later days. That's the future when yes, it does I've, come up.
0: I've now retooled our list a bit. So the only Star Wars film after this is Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. So we yes. will be doing the main saga in order. And once we get done with those, we will go in and do the standalone films if there are more to add. Because mm-hmm. at this point in recording... There is only two. There's Rogue One and there's Solo. So if more get added, we will certainly add those to our list. But for now, this is the film you're getting. <laughs> so let's start us off. All right. So this film this it- film was written and directed by George Lucas. Surprise, surprise. Who wrote the original films and directed A New Hope. And he came back with episode one. He wanted to do the prequel films. And he kind of had to work backwards from the original films. Because if you yes. watch and listen closely in A New Hope, Luke and Obi-Wan talk about quite a bit of things that happened yeah. that we don't get to see. He mentions the Clone Wars and that Obi-Wan was Anakin's master. He yes. taught him the Jedi arts. But yes. we don't get a ton of that in
1: episode one. No. No. It's completely... We get that in two, but one is more like... It's like a clean slate.
0: Yeah, Lucas definitely had a clean slate to work with on this one. He's setting the precedent for the Star Wars universe. Well, I would hope that people (laughs) don't judge the entirety of the films based on episode one.
1: Yeah, well, that is We're going to do
0: our best to limit our criticism to just this movie itself yeah but it's hard not to compare it to either the original films or movies that came later in the prequel trilogy yeah that's the problem when you add something to a franchise and a media base that's as beloved as star wars people can't help but compare it to previous
1: entries totally and there's just been so much work on it so Mm -hmm. to compare to so we will try to analyze it as a film sci-fi film the structure direction etc
0: and see where it goes. So, Sean, who's starring in this movie? Starring
1: in this film is Liam Neeson playing Qui-Gon Jinn. Ooh. Yes. We have Ewan McGregor uh, playing Obi-Wan Kenobi, which was probably one of my favorite castings for this because mm-hmm. he looks like El Guinness. El Guinness sounds like him. We have Natalie Portman, a young Natalie Portman, as Queen Amidala. So, these three actors, they all kind of were rising stars in the 90s. Yeah, uh, Schindler's List for Liam Neeson. Mm-hmm. And then what train spotting for you on McGregor? Uh, yes. And then I don't know for Natalie Portman,
0: Portman did uh, she was in Heat? She was. Yeah, what? she was With Al Pacino's Al Pacino? stepdaughter. No
1: way! I you, gotta see that again.
0: You haven't seen that again?
1: I've seen it. <laughs> Not again.
0: So yeah, that I think that's our non sci-fi movie. Recommendation of the week is Michael heat. Mann's Heat. That's a solid. If you have flip. not seen Heat, people, you are doing yourself a disservice. That's a
1: De Niro Pacino baby. You get to see Al Pacino just. Oh,
0: I just film. love De Niro's line in it. Like, you know what I'm talking? There's, there's a dead man on the other end of this phone. <laughs> I love that line. Ooh, Stop. that diner scene. I get is one all of the tingly best. watching that. He's like, "There's a dead man on the other end." <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, Mr. so we Dead got
0: Man. so we got 3 rising stars and then we have
1: uh Jake star. Lloyd
0: as Anakin Skywalker, or, uh, an unknown at the time, right?
1: Yeah, we have uh Ian McDiarmid. He's uh Emperor Palpatine. Well, he's overly British, so it's I so think you, you can get away with pronouncing it either way. And he's a pretty good shot. He actually was the original Emperor mm-hmm. and Jedi. We have Anthony Daniels playing C-3PO. Kenny Baker as R2-D2. Uh, Pernilla August as uh, Shimi. Uh, Shmi. Shmi. And then we have the Did Frank you watch the movie? Oz. You're mixing up character names here. I guess so. <laughs> it all blended together. And then we have Frank Oz as Yoda.
0: Yeah. In addition to that, we have uh, Samuel L. Jackson as Mace yes. Windu, with him and um, the head of Queen Amidala's security team are apparently the only two black yeah. men of the galaxy.
1: George Lucas finally listened to the criticism. There's instead of one. He was He's like, two.
0: there's two now. You can't say anything. I've added another one.
1: <laughs> two black men.
0: There are two hundred percent more black men than there were in the previous <laughs> movies.
1: And they actually, and he's like one of the most logical guys, and does some pretty bad, uh, you know, good stuff.
0: Uh, also, too, we have Ahmed Best as Jar Jar Binks. I'm have to mention him. Also, in in kind of like cameo roles, we have Sof, uh Sophia Coppola and Keira Knightley as. Uh, Queen Amidala's handmaidens yes so George Lucas kind of throwing a solid to his goddaughter <laughs> Sophia Coppola it's like listen I know you had a rough go of it in the godfather part three so I wanted to give you something that's like a steady paycheck that's right and then um and it's a remarkable how much Keira Knightley and Natalie Portman look What's alike insane. when they're all when they when they have their makeup on I could not tell I could if unless somebody pointed it out to me and say oh that's Keira Knightley and there's Natalie Portman I wouldn't know I, I didn't, wasn't able to
1: tell. I didn't know until the end scene where they're mm-hmm. convincing him to join. Because like I'm like, oh, there's Portman. She's mm-hmm. right over there. All right. But there I'm like, these guys are so alike.
0: And then rounding out the casting, we have Ray Park as Darth Maul. Ooh. Although his voice was not used no. in the final film. As he was redubbed by uh, Peter Serafinowicz. And it worked. That it voice worked, yes. is very nice. Yeah, the Ray face. Park's original uh, actual voice is quite squeaky. Yeah, and uh, he you needed something a bit more menacing.
1: It would be like me being the voice of Darth Maul. Well, just this so is when like heard. recasting
0: uh, or redubbing David Prouse's line reading in A New Hope. Yeah, because David Prouse was the man in the Darth Vader suit.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh and my And then there's gosh.
0: behind the scenes footage of him speaking. It's
1: amazing.
0: It is awful if
1: you want to watch it just think oh my god he is reading the
0: lines like he knows he's gonna get redubbed after the movie's over
1: (laughs) he yeah i love it i am your father (laughs) so like
0: uh no really no no are you really my dad (laughs) uh because it doesn't sound menacing enough i'm not convinced
1: (laughs) so who else we got on this on this uh puppy we got music by john williams oh
0: the great john williams which uh i just have to say if john williams passes When he passes away, because he is rather old. He is. I will be inconsolable for days. The really? man wrote the music of my childhood.
1: He wrote... Oh, and this film, Duel of the Fates, is Ooh. incredible.
0: Well, actually. we will definitely get into that. So, music by John Williams, who returns to score another
1: Star Wars film. Check it out. Get the album. It's a good album. Mm-hmm. We've got Cinematography by David Tattersall. Which is another British-sounding name. <laughs> it's edited by Paul
0: Martin Smith and Ben Burke. Ben Burtt who did the original sound design in the Star Wars films so he also did the sound design for Jurassic Park so we have Ooh. Ben Burtt to thank for a lot of our childhood sounds. He is the man of sounds. I don't know a single kid who didn't play with a lightsaber who made the whooshing sounds Whoosh. so thanks to thanks to Ben Burtt. <laughs> thank you Ben Burtt. You
1: <laughs> you are the reason why oh. mm. Uh, production company lucasfilm distributed by 20th century
0: and made on a budget of 115 million dollars so that is by far the biggest budget of any movie we've covered on the show oh yeah and because i love doing this i love my inflation calculator that is about 174 million dollars in 2019 money which is insane amount of money that's like marvel movie money these days that's insane like marvel just drops 150 mil on every movie now and they're like oh we'll we, we'll make it back we we'll make that. it back <laughs> we'll get it back gosh so we've we've covered the cast and crew a little bit we've covered Oh, the plot. I mean, uh,
1: let's let's talk about the guy behind it uh, that produced it all Ooh. that set this puppy in motion. The... You mean
0: Rick McCallum?
1: Oh yeah. Oh, that's Mr. this dude. It's so dense. That guy.
0: This guy. He is he. If you watch the behind the scenes documentary for episode one, Rick McCallum is George Lucas's champion and will be his champion until either McCallum dies or Lucas
1: just eats him to absorb his soul. Oh, you see him like gray and get larger throughout. These. George Lucas he aged ate him. him. He did horribly. Totally, like seven years. The because guy.
0: he had to put up with George Lucas's crap.
1: That poor man. I'm so sorry. You did well. You did you, well. You son. did
0: your best, but eventually Lucas will eat you to absorb your soul because of all the praise you've heaped onto him.
1: Yeah. So why? What's kick this off? What uh motivated George to start the prequels outside of uh
0: financial gain. So, at this point in the mid-90s and 93, the Star Wars franchise had, for the most part, been over for about 10 years. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It concluded with Return of the Jedi, with the Empire being destroyed, Mm -hmm. um, the saga of Anakin Skywalker being completed and redeeming the Force and the Jedi. So, for all intents and purposes, Star Wars was not a thing in the 90s. No. But then a lot of comics were coming out, a lot of books were coming out. And what originally sparked Lucas's reinterest in doing the prequel films were a set of trilogy books uh by Timothy Zahn. They're known as the Thrawn Trilogy. who Which center around uh an admiral or I think a general in the Empire by the name of Thrawn. And nowadays Thrawn has kind of become a very popular villain in the Star Wars canon. Okay. Um He's featured prominently, I think, in Rebels and the Clone Wars. Oh, I could yeah. be mistaken about the Clone Wars. I'm not, I don't watch the the television shows, but no. he does feature prominently in in one of those, mm-hmm. and he is very popular. And I, that really kind of sparked his interest in redoing Lucas's interest in doing a prequel film. Yeah. So in 1993, he announced that he would make the prequels, but he didn't want to make sequels as he felt that that saga was concluded yeah and he f- began writing the new trilogy in 1994 and he kind of had to work through the backstory of anakin first so he had to show his story of
1: becoming a jedi yep. and then
0: it was a him being a traitor and being on
1: tatooine yeah he wanted the whole thing he wanted to be anakin the protagonist and mm-hmm. like have it as a tragedy his rise and fall Becoming uh, Vader.
0: Although the original working title, and I'm glad he changed this, was The Beginning. The Beginning.
1: Wow, that's uh, no more basic than that. Really? What's yeah, it called, that is, George?
0: That is the movie making equivalent to a white girl ordering a pumpkin spice latte. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> a pumpkin spice latte.
0: That is the most straightforward title of any beginning of a saga that I've ever heard. Just the beginning. It all begins here. But he changed it to The Phantom Menace to... Reflect, uh, Palpatine hiding yep. his true identity as the Sith Lord and the puppet master of the prequels. Which is kind of interesting. Yeah. yeah. And he was approved for that big budget and allowed him to tell a more grander and epic story. But given what we've seen with the finished product, do you think this
1: also allowed for lazy filmmaking? Totally. he They gave him complete and utter control. It's kind of like uh, he just, no one questioned him. He was phoning it in. He was. Mm-hmm. But also, you have to remember, he also hadn't directed in quite some time, yeah. too. So, I mean...
0: Well, this leads me to my next question. How different do you think this movie would have turned out if somebody else directed it? Because he approached three different people... Yes. ...to direct it. He approached Ron Howard, who's coming fresh off of directing Apollo 13.
1: Ooh, solid. Robert
0: Zemeckis, who had the directing chops with Forrest Gump and Back to the Future, which we've covered on a previous episode. Yeah. And... His old friend Steven Spielberg, who was a, is a longtime collaborator of George Lucas. And
1: they all passed.
0: They all passed on this film.
1: Well, I can't blame Spielberg. He did Armistead and then um, Saving Private Ryan. Yeah, those while are, George are two was, heavy Whoa. movies. I mean, come on. Those two are Phantom Menace, but I feel like if he would have had those directors, it may, maybe, would have gone like the uh, original trilogy.
0: Personally, I believe what made the original trilogy work was that there were different directors for each of the films granted Lucas did direct A New Hope yeah but Irvin Kershner directed Empire Strikes Back Richard Marquand did Return of the Jedi so you had different opinions and different viewpoints influencing yeah. the other films and it and it strengthened them a lot of people kind of focus on Return of the Jedi as kind of being the weakest of the original trilogies I don't see that at all I think it sums up everything perfectly and it's exciting. It is. And it's the peak of visual effects at the time that movie came out. So whatever criticisms you may lobby against Return of the Jedi, you can keep them to yourself because I will not hear it. <laughs> so Lucas has written a draft of the screenplay and, I, and we get into pre-production. Yeah. And we get back to our boy Rick McCallum. Yes. Who had to begin location scouting. And he was also kind of in charge of world building. Yes, so he, he was. He had three different planets to really kind of go off. He had Naboo, so he had to get design creatures for Naboo, uh, Coruscant, so he had to d- get a city layout, and then we get Tatooine, where he had to design more city layouts and creature design. So he was kind of knee-deep in
1: world building. He was. If you watch the behind-the-scenes, because there's a documentary out there about it, um, he really goes into it all. They saw so many costume designs. I mean, it was in thousands. Well, the costumes had to be more elaborate than the originals
0: to kind of to emphasize the point that these are a different set of films. Totally, and he like
1: made it as a period piece, so he wanted to. Well, he definitely pulled that.
0: off the look of a period piece. I have to say that he
1: did. Every single place that they went to, whether it was Coruscant, Naboo, Tatooine, the people rocked those yes. outfits. It, 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 it was perfect. He did his best to
0: ensure. That when you were on a different world, it felt that way. Yes, you did feel it. So filming began in June 1997 and ended on September 30th, 1997. So this is a long shoot. And granted, we're still about a year and a half away from filming. So And they also yeah. did
1: pickups in august 98 and february 99 mm-hmm. think about that That's, like several months before you release it oh we're gonna pick which, up by somehow. the way you do not
0: shoot pickups three months, months before. before a film is due is due to come out you don't do that That's that is a big time no-no nowadays did
1: the test screening and people are like what's going on here
0: People were probably throwing popcorn at the screen, which I wouldn't blame them if, if I had <laughs> to see a rough cut of this movie. Oh, gosh. So filming span two continents, with yes. most of the film being shot on a soundstage in England. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, Italy <laughs> actually stood in for Naboo. Yeah, that was a nice
1: touch. I like
0: that. And they the production actually returned to Tunisia to film the scenes on Tatooine, which they famously did for... A New Hope they filmed all the tattooing scenes in Tunisia Ooh. so it was, a, it was a nice connection to the original trilogies I thought reading that yeah um,
1: it made you feel
0: Yeah, most of the, did you know this? Actually, most of the sets were only built up to the height of the actors. And since Liam Neeson is so tall, they had to build the sets higher. Yeah. And it added an additional $150,000 to the budget of the film.
1: All because of Liam Neeson. All because
0: he's so freaking
1: tall. He is so freaking tall. If this
0: acting thing doesn't work out for him, he could probably be like an Irish basketball player. Probably.
1: (laughs) But, I mean, I'm glad the sets were bigger because that would just be Mm -hmm. weird without... And they looked nice. I was so happy that they actually filmed on location and had some sets sometimes.
0: Because yeah. it just... It adds to any film when you can film on location and make it practical, feel grounded facts. and real. Yeah, I mean, you
1: can definitely tell the later two films he just kind of said ah, yeah i'm i it. don't
0: want a location scout the budget just went over
1: so i'm just going to cgi we we have got we half
0: the budget is dedicated to computer
1: effects we can't <laughs> send you to tunisia again rick <laughs> we're just going to cgi at all but this one it was nice the tatooine and uh, naboo scenes were pretty good yeah
0: what were your feelings or expectations Heading into the movie as
1: eight-year-old Sean. Eight-year-old Sean. All right, eight-year-old Sean didn't even see the film in theaters. What? I did not. I actually, uh, I was in our piano room and I was looking at a newspaper and I saw Star Wars. Like uh, it was like one of the droids. And I was reading. I was like, Dad, a new Star Wars came out. And he's like, Yeah, I saw it. And I was like, How was it? What? Why didn't you take us? And he's like, eh, It sucks. I don't want to spend money. Papa to see Culp it again. ruined the movie for you. He said it was bad. He's like, I took Chris to uh, go see it to see if it was okay Different for Chris, you. Different got me. Yeah, my brother, and uh, he's like, oh, it was lousy. So I'm not going to go back again. I was like, jerk. What? So I, I Thanks, saw it. I, I saw it on DVD. I think two years later or three years later. That's a long time to wait.
0: Because was by then, like another Star Wars movie is coming out.
1: It was, and I think that's how we saw it in. Um, To, you know, get us acclimated because I was older. And um, we got like the trilogy and saw the VHS. But I remember when I saw this, I was like, what is this? What's happening? I like the battles, but the politics bore me. I remember being pumped.
0: Pumped? As an eight-year-old kid who's getting his own generation's Star Wars films.
1: Yeah. I was excited for this. You were stoked for your generation.
0: I was excited to realize oh my god like the people i'm growing up with we're getting our own set of star wars films yeah and well eight-year-old me was excited 28 year old me not so much anymore (laughs) same so this has now led us into the movie itself and right away reading the opening crawl it pretty much tells us what we're in for from the start and it is quote a literal trade war it is is. what we're getting ourselves into so right away the movie is telling us we're going to get bogged down in intergalactic
1: politics. Which is amazing for a kid's film. That's that's yeah. exactly what I want to watch. George Lucas knows how to market to eight-year-olds. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because this is what eight-year-olds want to
0: see is intergalactic politics, politics crap.
1: Let's prep them for real life. <laughs> then
0: so we get um, the Jedi, who we don't know they're Jedi no. at this point. I mean, for all intents and purposes, they're ambassadors, but they're quickly found out, yeah. and they're being sent a bunch of they're gonna be murdered, supposedly. Here's a, here's a question:
1: I always thought Alec Guinness, like Obi Wan Kenobi in *New Hope*, just wore the cloak because it was like on Tatooine for sand. Like I didn't actually think that was like a Jedi thing.
0: Well, now we see it's a Jedi thing. Now,
1: now it is a Jedi thing. But did you notice too,
0: as the that door is opening up and the room is full of poison gas, which
1: they smelled and didn't die
0: yeah, which is another amazing thing. It's just George Lucas writing himself into a hole and then writing and then writing himself out of it by saying it's Jedi Powers.
1: yeah <laughs> so their their lungs are incredible. They can filter anything.
0: but did you notice the battle droids that were quaking in fear no. as a door is opening? They were quaking in fear. How messed up is
1: That's that? A, I got to watch that
0: that all of these droids are programmed with fear. And then the Jedi come out with their lightsabers and just hack them all. Just hack them all
1: to, sh- and they feel it. These poor if droids. They,
0: if they're programmed to feel fear, I guarantee they're also programmed to feel pain. They are feeling getting their heads chopped off and being cut in half and being force pushed down hallways. <laughs>
1: that's that's mind blowing. So you're telling me that these robots at this time they were they were in the process of becoming human.
0: I hope that's not the case. But they
1: could—they could feel, think of their thoughts, what they had. They may have had families.
0: <clears throat> they had little like baby roombas, roombas roaming <laughs> yeah, around. That's and right. They had like <laughs> n- illegitimate children that were like garbage disposals. <laughs> <laughs> garbage disposals. Let's not get into the interpersonal dynamics of battle droids.
1: Uh, yeah, I enjoy. I didn't see that, but I thought that's brilliant that he made them. Uh, quake and feel pain
0: so the and after this the trade federation has taken it upon themselves to invade Naboo and the governor which I don't understand the hierarchy of all you know you have the queen and then you have a governor yeah he's like well a communications disruption can only mean invasion like well, how many battles have you been in,
1: dude? How do you know this? I thought Naboo was like a peaceful type of people. What is? What is this guy? What did he come from? A different planet?
0: Well, then, and then the captain's Like we can't go up against the battle hardened droid army. Like they're not battle hardened, dude. Yeah, D- show like me. You, you can't program battle hardenedness. I want to see that movie where this droid just survives and he's
1: battle hardened. He comes back.
0: You know, if those droids were programmed with the mentality of a Navy SEAL. And the toughness of one, then I would say yes, absolutely. You can call them battle hardened, but call it what it is, and call it a surplus of battle droids.
1: That would be just imagine if these droids were like the robots in iRobot with Will Smith. How how quickly? Oh, this it would, would be a be vastly the, different it, movie. <laughs> totally different, man. Oh my gosh, the robots, John, the <laughs> robots. <laughs> They're coming. They're coming. They're going to get us. Oh, my gosh. Oh,
0: so after this, we also meet uh, the first kind of linchpin of the movie. Lynchpin. We meet Jar Jar Binks.
1: <laughs> oh, Jesus.
0: Which in a movie ripe for criticism, how does he become
1: the linchpin of all of it? Because I don't think George Lucas understands what made his films funny. Right. It's... it's is comic relief does not
0: come from Jar Jar Binks. It should just come from people realizing that professional actors are being paid to read these ridiculous lines of dialogue. Mm -hmm. And he was hoping to create comic relief for this movie, but it did not need it. He saw dollar signs. Yeah, pretty much. And just how racist is Jar Jar Binks, though?
1: What do you think he's trying to say, Chris? He's trying to say that, like, (laughs) I
0: don't like Jamaicans by putting in Jar Jar Binks.
1: Yeah, right. He doesn't like Asian people, so he just, like, puts stuff on their okay, face. Okay, well,
0: let's ask this. Did you see a bunch of Asian people in any of these movies?
1: No, I did not until uh, The Last Jedi. There you go.
0: <laughs> it took eight films to get one Asian person in there.
1: I know. We got it. Oh, my gosh.
0: We're, we're digressing a little bit. Let's get back to episode one here.
1: <laughs> I didn't even think.
0: Oh, my gosh. But...
1: In watching
0: Liam Neeson be a Jedi Master, I have to say that he is one of the few bright spots in this movie. Bright spots. Granted, he does make questionable choices, which I think you've
1: pointed out. Yes, he—he's. I think he like makes the. He has the worst decision making ever, and he's a terrible gambler. Yeah. So
0: this week's edition of people terrible not doing their jobs correctly is Qui Gon Jinn.
1: This dude is like. Yeah, what does he do? He tries to mind trick everyone that doesn't give him what he wants. He's yeah. like, give me what I want. Mind he trick. brings
0: an eight-year-old to a battle.
1: He does. He bets on his life for pod racing. He's like, if he dies, if he loses, you keep my ship. Wait, what? You're going to strand Wait, what? yourself what you... here? No, 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 no. no, Why... no don't do this. You're going to strand yourself here? <laughs> what What are you doing? Why don't you want any of the money from the pod race? I just I didn't understand. Well,
0: It's like Lucas saved all the quote air quotes here, best dialogue. For Qui-Gon yeah he saved a good chunk of decent dialogue for him but he doesn't get Liam Neeson's portrayal of Qui-Gon doesn't get enough credit as kind of as being a hero in this film being a
1: hero I I just didn't see him as a hero I, I,
0: I know you have your criticisms of him not being a hero so much but it is true I mean he's meant to kind of he's meant to
1: serve the Alec Guinness role yeah. of the movie I wish he would have like trained him or they did like some more montage.
0: Yeah, it's just well, it's a Star Wars film. You can't put in a montage. (laughs) Then then it's a Rocky movie.
1: (laughs) A montage. That would be amazing. That's what this film needed.
0: But I have to say, I would love to see a standalone Qui-Gon film about his rise in the Jedi Order.
1: Oh, that would be amazing.
0: But what are the chances we see that now that Disney is kind of shying away from (sighs) the standalone films? I would say
1: they'd either have to recast or they'd have to digitally edit him. So he looks younger. Liam
0: Neeson would have to be in it. I would love to see that film. I mean, he's he's not getting that taken money anymore. He's got to do something. (laughs) I mean, Count
1: Dooku was his master. How cool is that, man? Mm -hmm. I would love to see that.
0: But moving right along with the movie, as they're kind of as they're fleeing Naboo. And the ship gets hit, and all these droids are trying to fix the ship. Yeah. Let's... These droids are being shot with lasers, and they are screaming yeah. as they are being murdered.
1: They are. They are.
0: How, again, Just how messed up is that Lucas is telling these droids to scream? I know. And all, I, all I've ever heard from R2 is a series of beeps and boops, and yet you're going to, all of a sudden, they can scream? I don't know. It bothered me when I was eight seeing the droids scream, and it bothered me watching this movie again. 20 years later. (laughs) As they're
1: being murdered. (laughs) When they're screaming You know what? That proves a great point. Droid rights. Lucas-
0: All right, slow down.
1: Droid rights. Where are the droid rights, Slow down, L3. That is what the Senate should be talking about.
0: Yeah, get this movie bogged down in even more intergalactic politics. (laughs) That'll help it. Right. So they escape Naboo- and they land on Tatooine. Although yeah. this Tatooine is a bit different than previous versions. So how important was it to distinguish, uh, distinguish this movie's version of Tatooine from other versions we've seen in the
1: past? Uh, I guess it was It was important. I think they made it look less uh, scrappy. They made it look, I guess... It reminded me of walking through an old
0: Western town. Yeah. Like Jar Jar Binks is, is Clint Eastwood and just is stealing food from a cart and being... Confronted by the town baddie in Sebulba
1: Sebulba <laughs> the character who had uh, more characterization in his like three scenes than, right. the, the, uh, than Obi Wan. Gosh, that was a pretty good scene though. Walking through, and then they had to find the ship part and everything. Yeah, they couldn't
0: have shopped around for any of these J- ship parts see, in any of. That's
1: what I mean. I'm assuming he's th- a Jedi. He just believed everyone.
0: I'm assuming that the ship can still be flown. Granted, the hyperdrive doesn't work. But right. they could have gone to another planet and say, like, I need a new part. <laughs> Do you guys
1: have this? Do you take uh, credits? Credits. We no. have tons of credits. Your money's no good here. <laughs> Come on. And he has a lightsaber. Couldn't he just take it by force? He but, could have, but, but that if, would have attracted attention. But apparently, that's immoral and ethical. But depending, he's negotiating Jedi. lives of slaves. It's intergalactic <laughs> nitpicking. <laughs> that is true. Fair enough. How did you feel about Anakin building C three P o? Um,
0: uh, I don't know if three P o had to be in this movie entirely. I don't think he
1: needed to either.
0: Like three P o could have just shown up in Episode two, and everybody still would have known who he was. Yeah. But I think Anthony Daniels needed a paycheck. He did need a paycheck. But before that scene, Anakin and Padme meet for the first time.
1: Oh yes, they do. He says, "Are you an angel?" Hmm.
0: The love story
1: that will change the galaxy is now underway. The love story that the most ham-fisted love story that'll change the galaxy.
0: I can't imagine an eight-year-old having a line like that. Are you an? That is a classic eight-year-old talking to a teenager pickup line i guess this is like this is exactly like a child meeting a hot babysitter a hot babysitter and is asking her what she doing after she's done babysitting him. right
1: but we didn't get it as as when we watched it the first time because we're like oh he's a kid oh how cute but like later in hindsight when you watch it you're like nope the same crappy dialogue that he's had in the other later films
0: it feels like jake lloyd is just reading his lines (laughs) And Natalie Portman is doing her best to try She's and trying. salvage the scene. She is trying so hard. God bless her soul. Gosh,
1: she tried so hard this film. I feel like if we watch it again, we'll see like the different layers, like when she just starts mm-hmm. not caring. Like but, slowly just, I'm over it.
0: But this isn't the first scene. This isn't the only scene in the movie where it's intended to have this strong emotional impact on us. Yes. But it ends up falling short. This is only a long list of these type of scenes. We have plenty of them in the movie. I mean, up until this point already, we have some of Darth Maul's lines. We have most of Qui-Gon's dialogue. Um, we haven't met Sebulba yet at this point in the movie, but he is characterization. We get more characterization yeah. with his lines than we do of Jar Jar in the entire movie. <laughs> Later on, we have the Jedi Council scenes um, and also when Qui-Gon's making the deal with Watto before the pod racing scene. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these scenes have this intended emotional effect where they're supposed to be these, these tent poles of the movie where people go back and say, oh, that was a great scene right there. Yeah. But oftentimes they fall flat. They do. And the scene where Anakin and uh, Padme are meeting, we don't know these characters. Exactly. We literally just met Anakin 10 seconds ago, and P- Natalie Portman is now getting her first decent chunk of dialogue in the movie. Yeah. We don't know these characters.
1: We don't. We know nothing about them. We don't know that she's going to be his future love interest, mm-hmm. that she's going to give birth to the kids. Which at
0: this point is just creepy because she's 16 yes! and he's nine. Exactly. Like, what are you doing, George? I never once like fell hard in love with my babysitter. <laughs> and that's no. pretty much what this is, is Anakin falling hard for his babysitter.
1: <laughs> falling for his babysitter? But I no, have to ask this. Say- How
0: does somebody who is in the same film class as Francis Ford Coppola... Steven Spielberg and John Milius end up being the most hacky out of all of them well come
1: on man not everyone can be straight A students
0: yeah what's that famous phrase even C plus students get to be doctors that's right
1: still a doctor yeah but C's. would you trust a C plus doctor well I've never asked them their GPA maybe you should <laughs> yeah right next time we I go mean to it would get doctor. that thing
0: on your arm taken care of real quick <laughs> it
1: would wouldn't it? I've Sean seen... really
0: doesn't have a thing on his arm
1: people <laughs> I mean, you compare him to Steven Spielberg, then yeah, he's, he's probably the biggest hack. Well, at this point,
0: I mean, Steven Spielberg had already bested George Lucas in a number of categories.
1: So, even Coppola's
0: Daughter made yeah. better
1: films, like The Virgin Suicides and then Lost in Translation.
0: I mean, I would even venture to say that Sophia Coppola is a better actor than George Lucas.
1: <laughs> when do we see George act?
0: I don't know, but don't, I'm just going to assume in? that that's the case. <laughs> because I haven't somebody. seen him act. We don't have much of a sample size to work with with George. I mean, I'm just saying, George, I mean, you got billions. You can do what you want
1: now. Come on, be in a film, Georgie. We're asking you.
0: But Lucas hasn't... He isn't showing off his writing capabilities in this no. movie because we we see it most often with the dialogue is very hokey. But we also get it a lot with the symbolism. And most specifically, a lot of the symbolism is very religious. Yes. I don't know if you picked up on this when you watched it. I mean, Anakin being the obvious, obvious Christ symbol of the movie. Yeah. the with virgin, the virgin birth. birth. But there are Christian themes throughout this movie and they're more overt in in any of the films that we've watched previously for this show like darth maul being the devil with his horns and red face well even palpatine too i mean i think palpatine is even more symbolic of the devil and darth maul being more representative of his minions oh
1: like a demon mm-hmm. i gotcha yeah yeah yeah.
0: are and we also see naboo as kind of this garden of eden wait but then who's god Is it George? God is easily the force. God is the force? God is the force slash Jesus. And the Jedi Council fits in as like the 12 apostles. Okay. And I've mentioned this before. I have no problem with religion, but if you're going to do it in a movie, you can do it in a way that's not ham-fisted like this. Because we have seen ham-fisted religious symbolism Mm -hmm. in movies before. We just saw it last time when we did 12 Monkeys with Bruce Willis as the Christ-like sacrificial lamb at the end of the movie. There is a better way to do religious imagery in your film, and this is not the case. So we're now introduced to Anakin Skywalker, who will eventually become Darth Vader, but we don't know that yet because we're only in episode one. We're trying yes. to keep this contained. But leading up to this, and the only way for Qui-Gon and Boo Party to get their ship repaired is to have Anakin enter this pod race, get them money, and get their part back. And this leads us now to the pod racing scene. Yes. The the scene that should have been the climax of the movie.
1: Yeah, the, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting take. It should have been the climax of the film. Well, it starts
0: about 55 minutes in and ends about one hour and 11 minutes. Mm-hmm. So this movie could have been an hour and a half long yeah. if there was a lot that was taken out and they go to Naboo and they fix everything and... Boom, movie's
1: over. Wow. You know what? If they actually did, if he focused an entire film about Tatooine and finding this mm-hmm. boy, that would have been a 10 times a better film.
0: Well, it would have done exactly what he achieved to do. He would. It would have yeah. done a different Star Wars movie. He still would have accomplished the feel of a period piece. He still would have his battles in it. Yes, but you'd have a clear cut. Cl- there is a better movie than the one we got. This, this scene... Is about 16, 17 minutes long, but it doesn't do anything to the plot.
1: No. It well, didn't do it 20 years ago, and it doesn't do anything now. Well, it just gets Anakin away from his mom and gets them, you know, back towards Coruscant so they can give uh, Palpatine control of the
0: Senate. Regardless of how this scene ends, though, Qui-Gon is going to get Anakin off the planet.
1: Oh, he He's going to
0: train him to become a Jedi. Mm-hmm. They're going to... They're going to escape the planet, regardless of how the pod racing scene turns out.
1: Wait, but if he died, he wouldn't have escaped with them, didn't he? Need to win. He's Wasn't not going to die, or, or was Qui Gon using the this force? This is like
0: this is like saying like, well, what if he dies and. <laughs> This is like watching Back to the Future and suggesting that Marty McFly dies, even though we know there's a part two. He doesn't come we back. We know Anakin is not going to die. Yeah. Because there has to be, we have to get to episodes two and three.
1: Exactly. Because there's no cost to the film. So it's like, oh, well, we know he's going to win. If only it was better writing.
0: But the scene the is just, This scene is so full of lens flares. We get Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. But
1: he doesn't have to be
0: in the movie either.
1: No. No. It was just a call to all these different characters.
0: And because he's so CGI'd, it's, there's no effect to it. No. He's just like, oh, great. You might as well not even be in the movie because he's already not there in real life anyway.
1: Yeah. Well, what's the point of him being in it? Is he like, I just didn't like well, that. did you like notice that? even
0: he's bored yeah. <laughs> in the scene? He falls asleep and he flicks some poor little uh, lizard creature off the ledge,
1: presumably to its death. Exactly, because George just has to throw it in, man. And then
0: we also see Jawas, too. Yeah,
1: we saw Jawas. We see- see, They're uh, picking them off.
0: Yeah, Houtini, and they just- race on by.
1: Just got to throw as much crap in from the original th- series that but we can.
0: Do you remember that a good portion of the marketing for this movie was devoted was to the pod racing the scene? The pod
1: racing, yes, and lightsaber battles.
0: I wanted more of the pod racing. I enjoyed playing the Nintendo 64 game. Oh, then I did game too? watching this. I love that yes, game. Yes. Hey- Oh There's God, actually a, a mod out now. Somebody remade the game in the Unreal Engine 4. Yeah. And it looks incredible. Oh, that's awesome. I want an HD update of Star <laughs> Wars Episode One Racer.
1: That's what we want. That's what we want, George. Are you
0: listening, LucasArts?
1: Just give us I don't us think LucasArts is even a thing anymore, not with Disney buying it. No, probably not. They're like telltales. They're just like a skeleton crew.
0: But also, too, this scene is full of red shirts. Mm-hmm. We have so many pod racers who I am presuming that they die. They they because those wrecks are epic, dude. Those engines are going yeah we
1: probably hundreds of miles an hour we did
0: that poor guy in the cave who turns and goes
1: and then
0: (laughs) just is killed in a fireball did you know there's that did you see there's actually a deleted scene where that racer had a family with little kids
1: oh my god he had a
0: wife and little kids and they're all now without a father and a a dad without and a husband
1: (laughs) thanks george widowing family kids film best kids film ever we're t- Yeah, it's bogged know. down in
0: intergalactic politics and people are dying Dale Earnhardt style and fiery <laughs> wrecks.
1: God, that's not funny. It's, it's
0: not so- funny, but sure. it is it's also
1: it's not well, It's
0: not oh. funny in the sense that ILM also used NASCAR wrecks to better animate the pod racing wrecks.
1: <laughs> well, that well they took it from NASCAR, man. Pod racing is essentially NASCAR in space.
0: But those racers, I am assuming they don't come with airbags? No. no. They're all dead.
1: No, they're flipping that alligator guy that the whole thing just went. Pum, 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 the only pum, pum.
0: rival pod racer who's left alive is Sabo-ba. Saboba. And even he just goes, you know, poop. I got wrecked by a human. Exactly. The only
1: human to ever finish,
0: too. Really? And he, he was the only human to he's finish the a ol- race?
1: He was also the only human, I believe they mentioned in the film, to only like enter in the race and like fly a pod race. Which is crazy. You'd think that uh, that's it, the human race, they're only going to get an eight-year-old child. I mean, he was
0: boasting, I'm the only human who can do it, but yeah. I just felt like that that was a nine-year-old brag. You know when you're nine, eight or nine you say, I'm the fastest there is, and then you watch the Olympics and you're just proven wrong?
1: You mean that was like Wado saying he's the only dealer with the part?
0: Yeah, these, <laughs> this movie yeah. is full of, oh, I don't want to say humble brags because they're not humble at all. No. No, these guys aren't humble at all. Anakin's... But Anakin wins the pod race. Mm-hmm. All is good. They got the part back. They're going to take Anakin off the ship. And then we arrive at what I like to call the dual sunset scene. This is the scene where Anakin is now, is ha- now has to leave his mother and go train to become a Jedi.
1: The whole reason why George casts a child was for this scene. But... Like most of the other intended
0: emotional scenes in this movie, this falls flat on its face. We don't feel anything when Anakin leaves his mother. At least I didn't. No. This scene, there's a better scene within this scene. It could have been done a lot better. It could have been shot better. It could have been written better. It could have been acted better. Qui-Gon doesn't have to be in the scene much at all. No. You keep the wise dialogue to him. You don't do the awkward 3PO goodbye, and you focus on Anakin and his mother. That is who the scene should be about. That's what who this moment is all about. Yeah. That's the whole build-up. His mother tells him you need to go, you need to go and don't look back, and the music swells up, but we don't feel anything. And the reason why I call this the dual sunset scene is because we have those type of scenes in every Star Wars movie where the character is either looking forlorningly at the sky or a sunset or a sunrise and the music swells up. And we are left to wonder, what is this character's future? That is what this scene is intended to be, and we don't achieve that. And, and and this is a scene that also suffers from a lack of characterization, because we don't really know Anakin's mother at this point.
1: Well, like we were saying off the air, we don't even know what she if she's a slave and what her occupation as a slave is like she's able to go to a pod racing event like she's always there like for all we know
0: she's a a farmhand exactly she's be she's a paid farmhand we don't we don't know if she's still a slave because she's home all the time
1: we don't know if she
0: were actually a slave she wouldn't be home
1: or i guess maybe that's her thing i don't know she
0: She's just a slave to her own home and she's, is just she's making trapped. sure all the
1: dust is kept out. Right. They just confine her to her house. Or maybe she, like, cleans the apartments. I mean, that woman, they you got in?
0: sand floors. I, I don't think you should be worrying about dust. But this is also, too, where we see a failure in the pacing of the movie. Yeah. Because we, we are just coming off this epic pod racing scene. And then we're brought to the emotional floor with Anakin being forced to say goodbye to his mother. We are all over the place Throughout this movie, we are all... The editing is disjointed, mm-hmm. it's schlocky, we get these 20-second snippets of battles or other storylines, and then we're right back to some other storyline that we're being forced to care
1: about. Um, With no prior knowledge of any of the characters or anything.
0: We see this, I think, more clearly in the climax of the movie.
1: Oh, totally. Where
0: there's so many moving parts to it. We have the Gungans fighting the, the droid army. Mm-hmm. We have the starfighters going out to try and defeat the control ship. We, At some point, we have the Jedi's breaking off to go fight Darth Maul, and we have... Podmay's and her team's quest to go corner the viceroy yeah we have four different storylines that we're supposed i think it's five actually that we're supposed to keep track of
1: yeah and it's and it all how changes. are we
0: supposed to do that it's
1: it, we you get can't these
0: 15 20 minute se- uh, snippets mm-hmm. between each of those storylines and they're all supposed to meet at one point but, but it's it's
1: It's just too much for your brain to handle. It's too
0: much to handle. It really is sometimes. There are I will say this though, there are parts of the climax that I really enjoyed. I thought the beginning where that little cruiser pulls up and shoots that laser blast into the tank and how the initial like courtyard Mm -hmm. fight starts, I thought that was actually done very well. Yeah. But then it all just kind of drops.
1: It does. Well, it's hard to like care about a battle when you don't really care about the characters and you know you know. It's really tough. Well, the plan,
0: I think they forgot the plan at one point because remember they're in the hangar and they just cleared it out and Padme goes, I guess the Viceroy is in the throne room. Like, where else did you think he would be? (laughs) (laughs) Didn't didn't you like say before all this started that the plan was to get to the throne room and not the hangar? She was
1: just making it up. She was (laughs) doing a cob, just flying off the cuff. She just said that to like She's pulling a Dom? (laughs) She's pulling a Dom.
0: I don't think that was the case. That's just George Lucas not knowing how to write himself out of a hole. No, he did not. He had to get him. He, his way of getting them out of the throne room was trying to just write a throwaway line. And, like, <laughs> dude, like literally six minutes ago, she just said that the plan is to get to the throne room.
1: Gosh. And then we all just accept the Jedi battle. There's like 30 people in that hangar and one Jedi. You don't think <laughs> 25 lasers coming at Darth Maul? he defended all
0: that lightsaber is pretty cool though it's a dual edge lightsaber it's
1: cool it's not gonna stop 25 bolts coming at it and then she's like we'll just take the long way around (laughs) <laughs> isn't that the primary objective to get to the viceroy but you're gonna take them then
0: they use those ascension guns like you should have led with those
1: exactly
0: that would have just made this so yes, short
1: i know when i saw that i'm like wait now you bust out the bat <laughs> like come on man now you're gonna be batman
0: they're all just become adam west batman <laughs> it's like i know i have the gadget for this my young chum
1: how crazy of a star wars movie would that be
0: but speaking
1: of the lightsaber fight i mean
0: for me, up into this point in the Star Wars films, I thought this was the best lightsaber battle.
1: Yeah, it was. There was a lot of choreography in there, mm-hmm. but it just—I couldn't. I just didn't care because I just didn't know anything about the characters. We
0: didn't know anything about Darth Maul. Like I said, we should have gotten more dialogue from Darth Maul.
1: Yeah, I watched it again, and I'm like, dude, he says like two things.
0: We get more from Darth Maul in the television spinoffs and in Solo than we get, than we from- get in this movie.
1: Mm-hmm. and
0: I would even argue to say that his characterization is solo in solo is better than in the Phantom Menace
1: yeah and you get because I want to see that
0: movie, movie where he becomes a crime lord yes this is the movie we want to see that movie come at us Disney. Disney if you're listening give us that movie we want that movie big time <laughs> give the people what they want
1: but It's just that scene, the laser, like, as a kid, I loved that lightsaber battle. I'm like, dude, this is amazing. But as an adult, it's tough for me to care because, like, the visuals, it's like, it's very stimulating. But when you don't care about the characters, like, when the original trilogy, they had the lightsaber battles. It was interesting because you cared about them. They had that background. It was all about the internalization. There were costs. But this, from the beginning, it's like, this doesn't need to happen. They could shoot him. The one character It was clearly to get to killing Qui-Gon. That was the whole point. Yeah. The and,
0: one character that we come to care about in the movie is killed. Yeah. And this care and this and this is nothing new in the Star Wars films. Anytime there's a first entry in any of the trilogies, the hero or the mentor is always killed. And so anybody who was shocked at that happening, like I hate to say it, like that's just like, it happened in A New Hope. It's going to happen in The Phantom Menace.
1: But once again, I feel like he just recycled stuff from the original trilogy. Like, Alec Guinness's character, Obi-Wan Kenobi dying in A New Hope, was to provide that distraction mm-hmm. and help Luke later on. If he survived, it wouldn't make sense. Well, that's why
0: we still hold up Alec Guinness's portrayal of Obi-Wan as a true hero of totally. the franchise is because his, everything he's done has been in service of Luke and the Force. Yeah. Everything, even his actions in the later movies is true. Um, But in this, Qui-Gon is killed and is burned afterwards and nothing. Nothing. There is nothing. We don't get any more Qui-Gon unless we get a standalone film in the future, which I don't think will happen. He
1: is voiced in the second one. Like he's like when Anakin's like, spoilers, I guess, when Anakin's killing all the Tusken Raiders, you like hear they brought Liam Neeson back to like have a voice where he's like, stop, no. And then I guess they did a scene with him in the third one where he was going to teach Obi-Wan how to do the the Force force Ghost. ghost.
0: And uh, I think that got cut, though. Yeah,
1: they cut it, (laughs) which I mean, they tried to bring him back.
0: But Anakin finally gets his hero moment. Yeah. He blows up the control ship and he escapes. Uh, for For the most part, it by seems- By accident. <laughs> yeah, purely by accident. When Luke did it, it was actually on skill it and use the force. With him, it was just like, I'm going to pull the joystick as hard as I can.
1: Yeah. See what So happens. this was like a kid
0: accidentally winning in Mario Kart.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So if you think exactly. about it,
0: this movie is pretty much like a, a babysitting romp where the nine-year-old got loose and ended up defeating the town criminal. Oh my gosh. Is this like Home Alone? This is exactly this like Home Alone. This is Home Alone, Alone. Alone in space. This is, this is Home Alone with in space with lightsabers. Oh my where gosh. Where Anakin is Macaulay Culkin's character <laughs> and he and Joe Pesci and his Joe cohort Pesci. are the droid army, the trade federation and, Anic, and, and Anakin defeats them. <laughs> accidentally. Wow. But thanks. Thanks, George Lucas. You pretty much remade Home Alone. Wow.
1: I've never thought of it uh-huh, like that. Now you did. Now I did.
0: <laughs> but and then also too we, we see Obi Wan become starting to become the hero we get in um the original trilogy. Yeah. He's now set along down this path to train Anakin and Yeah. Get the galaxy down this path too.
1: Yeah, he keeps his word and says, Hey,
0: this is what I'm gonna do. But the ending, much like the pacing of the movie, is all over the place. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, the the battle is the battle has ended. Unfortunately, Qui-Gon has died. The Trade Federation viceroys are supposedly being sent off to the Senate to face for their crimes. Palpatine gets his pedophile moment with Anakin. That one was real cr- creepy when he was saying, we'll be watching your career with great interest." Like, okay, panel van. Like what? Panel Pan- van Palpatine.
1: Panel van Palpatine.
0: It's like, dude, do you even know who this kid is? It's like they went to Central Casting and picked out a creepy old white politician.
1: A British white politician, yeah. too. But I, I understand what you mean by the pacing.
0: But then we go, but right after that, we go into Yoda talking with Obi-Wan. Yeah. they just And he's like, yes, you can teach Anakin, but even he's warning of the growing threat that they seem to miss in the force. Yeah. And then so we're happy for a little bit but then we're brought right back down to that emotional floor again with Qui-Gon's funeral and even then there's a bit of like a twinge of hope to it. You know when when Obi-Wan looks at Anakin and says you will be a Jedi and then we're brought right back down with that sense of tread with Windu and Yoda talking to each other about the Sith threat. Yeah. And then we have that shot that lingers on Palpatine we're brought right back down to that emotional floor and then brought Right back up with the big old celebration with the Gungans. It literally takes you on a ride. I don't know what to feel in this scene. I don't know <laughs> How if do I, I should feel? be terrified for future films or if I yeah. should feel hopeful because of this last celebration scene. This movie is all over the place emotion-wise. I don't know what to make of it most times.
1: The last 20 minutes, too, they just shove it in. Because while I was watching it, I'm looking at the end, and I'm like, dude, in 25 minutes, they're going to fill in all these battles, all this emotion, and just...
0: You know, to be honest, I think we named this show because because of this movie. It is literally, We are literally being force-fed a Star Wars film. We are. Like I said, there is a good movie mm-hmm. within this two-hour, 15-minute long romp yeah but it is bogged down in internet in intergalactic politics there's disjointed editing and pacing all over the place the cgi is overdone
1: and then there's our favorite the metachlorians tell me chris how do you feel about george lucas with the force
0: he ruined the force
1: he didn't clear the mucky waters of your disillusionment
0: no no he he, by turning the force into bacteria (laughs) now means that no one is special no one is special. No one is special. You know that old adage, if everyone is special, no one is? Mm-hmm. So you So it's pretty much saying you either got it or you don't.
1: You either got the hep or you don't. You well, either got the Do disease. you want
0: the hep? Because I don't want that.
1: <laughs> I guess in Star Wars, if you want the hep, then it's good. Oh, my gosh. He ruined the force. He did, especially the idea that Anakin was created out of, like, many
0: just give them a dad and make it simple. I know. Like, do they not teach the birds of the bees in a gal in a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away?
1: I wish they did. I
0: wonder what the that version of the Dude, birds and the beads is.
1: Oh my gosh! I would love to be there for that conversation. Just to see Anakin a bunch of
0: traumatized Mark. younglings oh, yeah. in the Jedi Council room, just <laughs> being instructed on how to make a baby.
1: Right? Well, they can't. They can't have sex. Yeah, that's, Jedi's are not able to do that.
0: Which would instantly turn me off to being a Jedi. <laughs> You're not basi- going to lie about that. You're
1: basically like a monk. You
0: know, well. That
1: can wield a lightsaber. That
0: turns out so well in later movies. Yeah, right. So the movie is over. Let's talk about post-production and the release of the movie for a little bit. Sure. So filming actually concluded in 1997. And movie came out in 1999. So that means there were two about two full years of post-production going on in this movie That that's how long it took to edit it there's oh about 2,000 visual effect shots which at the time yeah I can see that taking about a year and a half to do
1: there's so many they just didn't even they they had two crews two or three crews that just worked endlessly mm-hmm. 24 hour shifts
0: but yet where we, we saw this in Back to the Future granted the post-production time was a lot shorter mm-hmm. but they were, that team was also working 24-7 around the clock to get the movie out. Granted, Back to the Future didn't have nearly as much visual effect shots as this movie does, and we're going to do our best not to compare Back to the Future to no. episode one, because Back to the Future would just kill that in a bracket. <laughs> that is um, very true. But also, John Williams returned to score the film like he had done with the previous Star Wars films, which um, this the score for this one just kind of falls flat for me, with the exception of, uh, Duel, Duel, of for, Duel of Fates. Everything else is just kind of, yeah, it's your standard Star Wars music. Like, we have the music for the opening crawl and some other music motifs. Like, we have yeah. the Force theme and we have a theme for Anakin, but there's really not much else that's memorable in the score.
1: No. You're not going to be humming it as you leave. No, of Except course not. Duel of the Fates.
0: I was actually blown away by looking up the marketing for this movie.
1: Oh, they marketed the
0: heck out of There was $20 million devoted to the marketing of
1: the movie. Oh. I remember when the first poster came out. Mm-hmm. You just saw it with the uh, little Annie standing there with the Darth Vader behind. I mean, mm-hmm. they just boom pushed that out there.
0: I guess the teaser trailer dropped in November of nineteen ninety eight. Okay, it crashed a bunch of servers when people were downloading it online. Holy cow! I'm sure. But also, this was the best for me. Was how uh, movie trailers used to work. Was sure um you would get the 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 film reel from the studio mm-hmm. and there was always one trailer trailer that was attached to the movie so the whatever trailers you would see in the early 90s were up to the discretion of the theater to play oh. and the last trailer that That's you saw of... before the movie was the one that the studio wanted you to see okay so when movies were coming out in the fall of 1998 and episode 1 was the trailer attached to those movies people would pay full price tickets just to see the episode one trailer and then walk out of the theater. What? Because they were done. Are you serious? I am dead serious. That's insane. You know, it actually happened with another movie that I love. What? 1989's Batman by Tim Burton. People did
1: that for... They would
0: actually carve out screen times just to show the Batman trailer and people would pay admission to see it. That's insane. But This is
1: is the power of a good trailer, though. I guess. But I mean, nowadays, it's not like that. Especially, I think people
0: were more excited for the fact that we're getting our first Star Wars movie in 16 years. Yeah. Because watching the teaser trailer
1: now, no. it practically gives away most of the movie. Well, I guess, I guess you know what, actually the equivalence of that now is like going to Star Wars Celebration. And like flying down to Disney and paying the hundred bucks to like watch the teaser trailer. Because I know they're dropping that next month.
0: I hope that's the case. Yeah. I'm going to do my best actually to not watch that because I want to go into the new Star Wars movie fresh and not knowing any of the visual cues. He's blind. Now. I have a friend who, I have a friend Phil who does that. Anytime there's a new Marvel movie out yeah. and there's a trailer on, he will cover his eyes n- just in his effort eyes. to avoid- seeing anything that might happen in the movie
1: you know that's actually kind of brilliant because then you just go in blind without any if there was a new batman movie i would do that in a minute totally but we're not getting that soon (laughs) no no we are not but you know what actually i'll I'll back that that makes sense why people would pay Mm. just to see it
0: that's pretty cool though well this actually leads us into uh this week in toxic fandom yes so the movie was originally scheduled for release in may of 1999 And this was one of the first movies that allowed for pre-sales. I don't know if you remember that. Yes. Um, So tickets were not allowed to be sold until two weeks before the release. Mm -hmm. And there was a 12-ticket limit um, that was sold on a first-come, first-served basis. Yeah. So some scalpers would go in, buy up as many tickets as they could... And would sell each individual ticket for up to a hundred dollars each.
1: A hundred bucks. Yeah,
0: this even the studio had to get involved and say, um, "No, you cannot do this." That's insane. Mm-hmm. Just to see a movie. Just to see a movie.
1: Wow, this movie must have been crazy when it first. This came This
0: movie out. was crazy. Well, again, it was the first Star Wars movie we were in, getting like, in 16, sixteen years. It years. did look
1: pretty. So everyone freaked. They were
0: yoked. We didn't know what we were getting into at the time because the teaser trailer showed as. M- a ton it showed the pod races it yeah. showed samuel jackson it showed the lightsaber battles it showed all the cool parts of the movie it didn't and they we got some <laughs> snippets of the intergalactic politics dude so it, it showed a it showed people enough to get butts in seats what if
1: the trailer represent what do you think the trailer what a true trailer would represent this film as what would your trailer be if it was actually what this film was not like all the pod racing and uh, it would have to show
0: um the ham-fisted christian imagery yeah it'd have to show the pod racing because that is the best part of the movie um but also you have to let people know what they're getting into by showing the intergalactic politics
1: like two minutes of just intergalactic politics yeah let
0: people know that they're in for a two hour 15 minute uh pretty much debate this is like mr smith goes to washington yeah,
1: that's right gosh
0: But despite the mixed reception of the movie, it broke a ton of box office records. Yeah. I think it had, like, biggest opening weekend at the time. Um, A lot of those records actually were held at one point by the Lost World Jurassic Park. Yeah. Titanic and Independence Day at the time.
1: Oh, it made like uh, it made nine hundred and twenty-four million dollars.
0: So that's it. That was in its initial release. So that was the highest-grossing film of nineteen ninety-nine. Do you know what else came out in nineteen ninety-nine? No. I had to look this up. What? Uh, so the Sixth Sense came out in nineteen ninety-nine. Oh, sweet! Toy Story Two, The Matrix, uh, Tarzan, the Disney uh, version, The Mummy, Notting Hill, which actually came out the same weekend as Episode One. Really? Yeah, it ended up being in the top 10 grossing films of that year. Oh, rock on. The World is Not Enough, a James Bond film, and American Beauty. Oh, So, 1999 was actually a pretty good year in films, period. We got a couple decent sci-fi films from that. We got The Matrix, Mm -hmm. which is on our list. Don't ask us about that. But this movie was also given a 3D re-release in yes. 2012, which took in an additional $100 million. Mm-hmm.
1: So now it's and, over a billion. Yeah,
0: it is. And I'm always fascinated by these facts. It was the 11th film in history to gross a billion dollars. Oh, yeah. Nowadays, we no. we get billion-dollar movies, it seems like, every month. Oh, yeah. But when you when your film can say you were among the first 15 to do that, I think that's pretty neat. So, Mm -hmm. as much crap as we have given George Lucas in this episode, he deserves some credit for trying to do something new with the Star Wars franchise. I mean, granted, the criticisms he's lobbied nowadays seem a bit like, um, no, you need to chill.
1: Well, he's just like that crazy old man. Yeah, he's cranky. He's just crazy old man. I think he wishes
0: he was still making movies because he got $4 billion from the deal with Disney, and we were promised- he would be releasing independent films left and right, and we haven't done that. No. I'm pretty sure now he's just counting all his billions out, like $10 at a time.
1: Well, he was trying to uh, take that money and open up a Star Wars museum in Chicago.
0: Yeah. and then But this, then
1: that did not work. So Yeah, now, people
0: got all P.O.'d about, about that the, for whatever reason. The
1: parking lot, I think. But this film, actually, it was nominated for three Oscars. Mm-hmm, which were? Best Sound Effects Editing. Best visual effects, and best sound.
0: And lost all of those to The Matrix.
1: Yes, because The Matrix is amazing.
0: Yeah, The Matrix. This was uh, So this wasn't even the best sci-fi movie that came out no. in 1999. Oh,
1: come th- on. The Matrix blew everyone's mind. However- They were like, what?
0: Episode "The Phantom Menace" was nominated for seven Golden Raspberry Awards.
1: Oh, oh my gosh! Yeah. <laughs> so we don't have any Oscar
0: wins, but we've got Golden Raspberries,
1: baby. All right, throw them at me. Uh, Which one? You know, I actually didn't write them down. Ah, trash. I think. Well, we can for sure say that uh, Jake Lloyd was one oh, of those. Jake rasp- Lloyd and Natalie Portman, I'm sure, got some type and of And Jar Jar Binks. Yeah. Those well, guys. seven. You know who loved this menace. movie though?
0: Who Roger Ebert. No way. He gave the movie three and a half stars. What? Yeah, I'm not kidding. He was probably happy that they he made was. Another one. He, uh, I would imagine that George Lucas or somebody at 20th Century Fox kind of paid him off to do a good review. Kind of like Rotten Tomatoes Deaver loved the original films too. He did. So it stands to reason that he would
1: also love this. I would be curious to see like what his ratings were for the entire series. Well, we would
0: have to do some kind of aggregate, but I, you know, we we can save that though. Yeah, I um, would be curious. But this also has a fifty-one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, but yeah, me I, personally, I don't give a ton of weight to Rotten Tomatoes no, score.
1: No, they're not. Well, I don't know. With this, was Rotten Tomatoes around when no, it came? No, it out? was not around. Yeah, so this Rotten is kind of Rotten Tomatoes more... really
0: didn't become a thing. Um, I. It really didn't become prominent in people's
1: movie.
0: 2010s. No, I think until 2016 when Batman versus Superman came out. That
1: was when it was really... Because now they post it on the trailer. Don't mm-hmm. be like 98%. Yeah,
0: we see that a lot. We just saw that with recently with Bohemian Rhapsody. We yeah. saw that with Captain Marvel, which I'm glad... Rotten Tomatoes finally did away with the whole pre-review thing. Oh, that's so trash. Yeah, like because people were trying to do that with Black Panther, and it yeah. turns out it was just a bunch of incel racist people.
1: <laughs> In- and they were trying
0: to do that with Captain Marvel, <laughs> which, again, I stand by my theory that it's just incel racist because you're upset that Captain Marvel won't sleep with you. <laughs> what? People were trashing the movie because it's a woman and women don't deserve to be in in this role and like um but what dude you're you're wrong What about fronts what
1: about salt angelina jolie all of her films that she's done. i I
0: can't attest to salt because i've never seen it oh my gosh chris you got to watch yeah i think we already gave people the non-sci-fi wreck of the week let's not overload them too much
1: (laughs) all right that's true uh in comparison to heat salt isn't heat but but it's still kick butt
0: getting back to the phantom menace though i mean there's this is one of the few movies where I would say that a lot of fans' critics are in line with the critics' criticisms.
1: Well, except now with Toxic Fandom, they're rethinking it. Well, there are reports well, with J. J. now. With J.J.
0: Abrams being more involved in with Disney and the making of future Star Wars films, I would love to see a J.J. J. Abrams edit of The Phantom Menace. I think he would actually J. J. get his editing team what? together and come up with a better movie because if George Lucas
1: just seemed to have a hand in everything and yeah. it,
0: it really shows in
1: this movie I it- well it's just an experience from directing he didn't direct for almost 20 years well filmmaking no one when no one tells you no filmmaking like any
0: other business venture is meant to be a collaborative process totally and when you are the only voice that is the be all and end all of every single decision made and you aren't allowing for other opinions to be heard or voiced you have a problem yeah and it shows you have there were so many people who are lining up to kiss george lucas's butt or just work with him because he had this aura about him mm-hmm. as being george lucas that no one was willing to voice a dissenting opinion about the choices he was making regarding the visual effects, regarding characterization, acting, dialogue. And we brought this up earlier in the show. If this movie had a script doctor or if there was a different director at the helm, this movie would have turned out much
1: better than it did. Or if the actors just like would say, no, this sucks. Because in A New Hope, yeah. they did... Like, Al Guinness was totally so many times with his lines, he's like, I'm not saying that. This mm-hmm. doesn't make sense. Even um, the whole, I know, I love you, I know. That just, was ad-libbed. It, that was totally ad-libbed. If you didn't know, Harrison Ford was going to say, I love you too. <laughs> and then after like 10 takes, the actor got so pissed off about it the director just said well just say what comes to mind he's mm-hmm. like i know and it worked now it it's worked like, it's now an iconic part of that movie and even online you can solo someone in real life by saying <laughs> i know if they say i love you <laughs> oh gosh but
0: for you where does this rank among the main star wars films and i'm talking just the the main story ones not the standalone films where where does this rank for you at
1: least like in the main, oh, I would say this is probably for me the worst one. Yeah. By far. It just, you can't gain any context into the characters. You have to know the Star Wars universe to gain insight. And there's, it just, there's no you, protagonist. You there's- know, producer Jeremy
0: brought up a good point when we were off air by saying, if you had seen the originals, Heading into this, you knew what to expect. Yeah. But if you were coming in cold, not knowing one iota what Star Wars was about, you were lost. Totally. You had no idea what was going on.
1: Who are these hippies wearing robes? Why who are, are th- all these
0: who are all these people that I'm supposed to care about? Yeah. Why? Why is the guy who looks like he has dreadlocks overly racist?
1: Why are these robots shaking in fear? Like yeah. it just doesn't make sense. Like
0: I said if you've programmed them with fear, you've programmed them to feel pain. <laughs>
1: Robot rights, baby. All
0: right. So I think we've now reached the portion of the show where we can review the film. Totally. And it sounds like we've done that already, but this is our be all and end all review, I would say. Now, when this movie came out in 1999, I was excited for it. Mm -hmm. This this was my generation getting a Star Wars series. I was excited. I was going to go with my dad. We were going to have a great time. Eight-year-old me loved this movie. However, 28-year-old me doesn't love this movie. Mm -hmm. It has not aged well. The dialogue is hokey. Mm -hmm. The visual effects are way overdone. Most of the characters come off as caricature, racist stereotypes, and a lot of the symbolism is heavy-handed. Yeah. It pains me to do it, but for me, this would have to be a wooden watch. Yeah, It is... It is the worst among the prequel films, and it could have benefited from outside opinions. And I want to see a re-edit of this movie, supervised
1: by Kathleen Kennedy and J.J. Abrams. I wouldn't want to see any of that. (laughs) I want it to I don't want
0: any new visual effects. I don't want any new characters added in. I just want a complete re-edit of the movie. I wouldn't want to watch it ever again. So you're you're also in the wooden watch
1: camp? God, yes. I the only time I watched this was um, I like got my wisdom teeth out. Well, and I you was were like,
0: forced to for this show too. Well,
1: and this, but that was that was nine years ago. Was the last time I watched this just because I mm-hmm. didn't remember how bad it was. Yeah, but no, this is this a wasn't, not watch. This
0: wasn't the best movie when it came out. It's not the best sci-fi film that came out. No, in nineteen ninety-nine, and this is
1: by far not the best Star Wars film. I think my life would improve dramatically if I never saw this film again. <laughs> you can just eternal sunshine of the spotless I, mind that's I out would, of your brain. I you would, would do it. <laughs> I, th- I think it would be incredible to
0: like just forget it exists. Okay. <laughs> never heard it put like that before.
1: <laughs> I would only talk about this film if I wanted to explain to people how films should not be made. Mm. Then maybe I would reference it. Oh, boy. But yeah, that's my review.
0: Well, I- uh, you know, we've actually been in agreement on all the movies we've watched so far, and really, this is no surprise that we have both agreed on wouldn't watch for Star Wars Episode One. Yeah, The Phantom Menace.
1: I've I've only met one person in my life that said it was great and better than the originals.
0: For the sake of podcasting purposes, they shall remain anonymous. They will remain anonymous. So we're not going to draw our ire.
1: <laughs> no.
0: So I- with Episode One. The Phantom Menace in the bag. What do you say we pick our next movie? I'm down. All right. We're going to enlist the help of our very friendly random number generator, artificial intelligence. Major Samantha. There she is. (laughs) And this time she has selected beep, boop, beep. We've got number 49, which is a 2011 British film starring John Boyega and Jodie
1: Whittaker. It is Attack the Block.
0: I have no idea what that is. You have
1: never seen this? No. All right. Well, this sounds we... kind of cool, though. It's not indie, probably.
0: Yeah, on the box, it's described as um, Goonies meets Gremlins. Oh wow! With aliens, though. Cool. I'm mm-hmm. down. So yeah, I'm. We will be looking forward to watching that next week. But we have a special treat in addition. Oh! We are doing a special bonus review episode of the new superhero horror film. Brightburn, directed by David Yarovesky and produced by James Gunn, the director of Guardians of the Galaxy,
1: volume one and two. Isn't it that like that horror superhero film that's coming out? Yeah. It's, it's going to change on, the tide.
0: It's based on the premise that what if a Superman-like child came to Earth, but instead of being this beacon of hope and light and truth and justice in the American way, he decides to become a serial killer.
1: <laughs> oh, man. This is awesome. Which is annihilation. Sean gets to act out some of his darker fantasies. Well, there's like a Superman comic out there where uh, Hitler gets him and then he uses Superman to like take over the world. That's awful. I know, right? But it's kind of cool. I don't think about Because we always see superheroes that. like saving the day. But instead he's going to come and eat you.
0: Uh, I don't know if he's gonna eat anybody. That uh, that's a uh... that is true. All right, so <laughs> be on the lookout next week in your feeds for two episodes. Like I said, one it will be the special bonus review episode of *Brightburn*, and we will have *Attack the Block*. So uh, watch along with us, and please, if you enjoyed the show, please go to iTunes and leave us a five star review. It helps drive us up the charts as well as help people like you find the show. We are across the spectrum of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Forcefed Sci Fi. You can check out and download episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or wherever you find podcasts. And please subscribe so you never miss an episode. Finally, you can check out our website, ForceFedSciFi.com, that's all one word, for show notes and links to all of our social media. Though so for myself and Sean Cole, we'll see you next time. The Force-Fed Sci-Fi Podcast is written and hosted by Sean Culp and Chris Rupp. Website design and associate producer is Jeremy Keskey. Artwork designed by Mike Berger. Theme music composed and performed by Custom Anthem.